Hello, and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. Plus, don't forget about patreon.com slash rawattitudepodcast, where you can get all sorts of fun bonus content. So first up, I have a quick announcement regarding the next episode of this podcast. I'll be covering St. Valentine's Day Massacre, as well as the following night's episode of Raw, and of course, as is the custom, I'll be bringing in a special guest host, since we're covering a pay-per-view. And that special guest will be... Adam from the Nitromania podcast... maybe. He's tentatively scheduled to join, but his schedule has gotten a lot busier lately, so if he's not able to come on the show, I will bring in someone else. So tentatively, Adam is booked, but we'll see how it goes. Stay tuned. And speaking of friends of the show, I will soon be appearing on an episode of WrestleMania Salvation, where Sal and I will cover WrestleMania 19, a pay-per-view I literally have not watched since it aired back in 2003. Be on the lookout for that probably in the next month or so, and of course be sure to subscribe to WrestleMania Salvation if you haven't done so already. Alright, so with that being said, let's get into the show. It is Saturday, February... Wait, what the hell? It's a Saturday? Why is Raw being shown on a Saturday instead of its usual Monday time slot? Well, the reason is actually pretty amusing. Raw this week was preempted because the USA Network instead had to air the annual Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. Now, I couldn't find the television ratings for the dog show, but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that they got probably a fraction of what Raw would have gotten in that same time slot. And if I recall correctly, I think this was a major, no pun intended, bone of contention when the WWF ultimately ends up leaving the USA Network in 2000. Despite their huge ratings, USA would preempt them at least twice a year, typically for the dog show and the US Open in August and September. Now, of course, on USA's side, they could attract much more profitable advertisers for those events than they could for Monday Night Raw, so it made good financial sense for them, but I can see why Vince McMahon would be pissed when Raw's ratings at this point probably would have at least doubled what those other shows would do. Very interesting to think about how each party could rationalize that decision. So, anyway, it is Saturday, February 13th, 1999, and we are pre-taped five days in advance from the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Funny enough, Raw was actually taped on Monday night at its usual time, but instead of airing it that night, the USA Network put it on Saturday night instead. So when you're watching this episode of Raw, it's literally just one day before the St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view. Although, amusingly enough, they did broadcast it live in Canada on Monday, so I guess those Canucks had no interest in the dog show. Now, as I said, this episode took place at the Sky Dome, and it holds a very interesting distinction. 
This episode of Raw, still 19 years later, holds the record for the highest attendance ever at an episode of Monday Night Raw. That's right, a whopping 41,432 Canadian fans jammed into the Sky Dome for this one. In fact, this is currently the 28th largest crowd the WWF slash WWE has ever drawn, and that's including pay-per-views. So yeah, the product is pretty hot right now, folks. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in the Sky Dome include one other episode of Raw in January of 97, which also drew a healthy 25,000 fans, WrestleMania VI, where the Ultimate Warrior defeated Hulk Hogan to win the WWF title, and WrestleMania X8, where The Rock and Hulk Hogan stole the show. And by the way, the aforementioned Sal literally just put out an episode of WrestleMania Salvation, where he covered that very show, so be sure to listen to that too. Fun fact, we actually had two dark matches before the show went on the air. Some dude named John DeSilva defeated Joe E. Legend, who will later go on to have a very small role in the WWF as Just Joe, and the Acolytes defeated the team of Larry Brunn and Scott DeMore. Probably the right call not to put those on the air. So we open the show with a recap of the feud between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon over the past few weeks. As a reminder, Vince McMahon won the Royal Rumble, and then he signed papers to give up his number one contendership so he wouldn't have to face The Rock... But then Commissioner Shawn Michaels informed him that if he gives up his title shot, it would go to the runner-up of the Royal Rumble, which was, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin. However, Austin then declared that he would put his number one contendership on the line if Vince would face him at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in a steel cage match. And that is where we currently stand. From there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd, and holy shit, there are 41,000 fans in the crowd tonight, and it looks like every one of them brought a sign. I'm not kidding, if you get a chance, be sure to take a look at the opening scanning of the crowd, because it is bonkers. You can barely see anyone's face due to the fact that people are holding up so many signs. It's actually pretty awesome. And because of that, it's probably no surprise that I saw quite a few amusing signs in the crowd on this night, so here are some of the ones that I noticed. How was the dog show? We want to ride your Valboski. Americans can suck it. My arms are tired. D'Lo, the real main event. I broke up with my girlfriend Pamela to go to Raw. We've been drinking since 316. X-Pac equals piss break. Vinnie Mac for Prime Minister, Sexual Chutney, Hit Me With My Chair, be careful, they they might take you up on that lately, Paging Mr. Ass, Show Me Your Moon, I Slept With Shamrock's Sister, I Skipped Work for Wrestling, Deborah's Stalker with an arrow pointing down, Fire Doc Hendricks, This Was Damn Expensive, China Has Big Tits, I Might Be Ugly, but at least I'm not American. Shamrock fears Ritalin. I've got The Rock's cookbook. Hey, Deborah, I'm staying at the SmackDown Hotel, Suite 316. A sign with four letters that simply spelled out, Fuck! Nice job getting that by security. And a sign which played up the Canadian stereotype, Three words, Suck it, eh? And we officially kick off the show with Stone Cold Steve Austin heading to the ring. 
For those scoring at home, this is the first time Austin has been in the arena for an episode of Raw since the January 18th show before the Royal Rumble, and the Toronto fans are certainly happy to have him. When Austin enters the ring, one of the fans in the crowd throws a can of Budweiser, which bounces off the canvas and rolls down to the arena floor. Apparently, though, Stone Cold appreciates the gesture because he immediately exits the ring, grabs the can, and then rolls back in. And at this point, I started to worry that that could set a very dangerous precedent. Suddenly, I was picturing thousands of fans throwing beers into the ring and burying Stone Cold with them, like that moment from ECW when Mick Foley and Terry Funk asked the fans to toss them a chair. But thankfully, though, that didn't happen here. Michael Cole informs us that Vince McMahon has booked a non-title match tonight, WWF Champion Mankind versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Austin has a mic, and he proceeds to address that very issue. I know when Vince McMahon made the non-title match between myself and Mick Foley, he was counting on the fact that we'd be in this ring beating the living hell out of each other. What I said! And that's all fine and well with me because I got all the respect in the world for Mick Foley, and as far as I'm concerned, he is one tough son of a bitch! But to Vince, I'll tell you this, no matter what happens in this ring, when I get your ass in that steel cage, there ain't gonna be a damn thing you can do against Stone Cold Steve Austin except lace up your truck shoes real tight and run run around the damn cage because let me tell you something. You sit there in your office and you think, oh, what can I do next to Steve Austin? How can I screw Steve Austin? What can we do to get Stone Cold Steve Austin out of the World Wrestling Federation? I'll tell you this, ain't a damn thing that you can ever do to get rid of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that's all I got to say about that. The rattlesnake laying down the law. You see, Vince, you're the only person standing between me and my title shot at WrestleMania. And it always seems, it always seems that you're so good at making guarantees Well, let me tell you something. I got a couple guarantees I want to lay on you. There's that word again, King. Yeah. I can guarantee you, number one, that I will beat your ass up and down every side of that damn cage. Wait a minute. He can do it. The second guarantee I'll make is that I will step right over your limp carcass and walk my ass right into WrestleMania to the title shot. I would put Mr. McMahon in a coma. The third guarantee I'll make you, Vince, is I will guarantee in that cage match there will be bloodshed. A lot of bloodshed, and it ain't going to be mine. That means McMahon's blood. No way! That's a Sunday. Your ass is mine. And that's the bottom line. 
tonight because I got the feeling and I think you feel it too that about 50,000 Toronto fans want to see somebody they want to see somebody get their ass kicked oh hey don't get upset it might be you it might be me all I'm saying, Toronto, and to a worldwide audience, is that somebody in this very ring is going to take one hell of a beating. That is tonight. And Mr. McMahon doesn't care which one it is. I'll just leave you with one last little thought. <laughs> I am the WWF champion. Until I'm not. So there you go. Stone Cold is guaranteeing bloodshed, and Mankind is fully intending on defeating The Rock on Sunday to retain his WWF title. And by the way, toward the end there, you may have heard the crowd randomly pop right after Mankind said, I'll just leave you with one last little thought. And that was because someone tossed a beach ball into the ring, which Mick Foley then punted back into the crowd. Needless to say... We have a rowdy collection of Canadians in the crowd tonight. But anyway, after Mankind finishes speaking, he and Stone Cold get interrupted by the entire corporation. I'm not going to play their part of the promo here because the total audio for the entire segment would take up over 10 minutes of this podcast, but I will, of course, let you know some of the finer points. The Rock claims that he is going to, quote, bash Mankind's living brains in during their last man standing match at the pay-per-view, and he then proceeds to rattle off his usual catchphrases. And interestingly, this is the first time that Rock has said the millions with the crowd, then finishing his sentence and saying and millions, so I dare say that may become a recurring thing. And from there, Rock hands the microphone to Vince McMahon. And Vince proceeds to tell us that he feels rather confident heading into his steel cage match against Stone Cold on Sunday. 
In fact, he's so confident that he says if any member of the corporation appears at ringside or tries to interfere, he will fire the entire corporation from the WWF. And funny enough, Vince then closes his promo by borrowing a line from Chris Jericho because he says, quote, After the cage match is over, Austin, the World Wrestling Federation for you will never, ever, ever be the same again. I wish he had pronounced it as again, but alas, no such luck. And then, to cap off the segment, Vince gave us one final tidbit. Tonight, in the non-title match between Mankind and Stone Cold, there will be a special, completely impartial guest referee. And that referee will be Vince McMahon. And that is how our opening segment comes to a close. Now, obviously, this has become the standard for Raw lately, where we get an opening promo that takes about 10 to 15 minutes and sets up the rest of the show. But hey, when you get mic time from Stone Cold, Mick Foley, The Rock, and Vince McMahon, you can't really complain too much. Plus, they're in front of a crowd of 41,000 crazy Canucks, so I'm definitely excited to see how tonight's show ends up playing out. And from there, we cut backstage, where we see Deborah sitting in a chair and applying some sort of cream to her legs, but then we cut elsewhere backstage, where we see Mark Henry watching her on a monitor. In case you need a reminder, Sexual Chocolate has interrupted interviews with Deborah on two straight episodes of Raw, but last week he ended up paying for it when the WWF Tag Team Champions Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart jumped him from behind. And after a commercial break, that provides a fitting segue into our next match, Jeff Jarrett, who is accompanied by Deborah and Owen Hart, versus D'Lo Brown, who is accompanied by the aforementioned Mark Henry. However, before the match begins, D'Lo grabs a mic, and he has something to say to Sexual Chocolate. Hold up, hold up, wait one minute. Before we get this party started, Mark, Mark, Mark. I know you're looking at Deborah, and I know you want exactly what she's got. But Mark, Mark, listen to me. There's one thing that I want, and that's what Owen and Jeff got, and that's the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team titles. And they have a chance to win them this Sunday. Mark, I know you like looking at eye candy. I know you like looking at pretty things. Well, I got someone that'll do exactly what you want I got someone that'll do anything when you want it. What? And mark my man, she'll do it anywhere you want it. Woo. And guess what, brother? She's all yours. That like so my right kind now, I'd like to bring down Ivory. Ivory? Whoa! So as you heard there, D'Lo introduced us all to Ivory, who then walked out from backstage wearing a red dress with a blue scarf. And apparently, D'Lo is presenting her to Mark Henry as uh, a woman who will do everything that sexual chocolate wants to do. That sounds awfully familiar. And sure enough, Michael Cole says that he feels like he's seen her somewhere before, so you may want to file that information away for later. 
And to be honest with you, I completely forgot that this is how we were introduced to the Ivory character. It's an especially funny contrast when you see the transition she makes next year, but I suppose we'll focus on that when we get there. By the way, regarding Delo, he seems awfully happy considering the fact that last week it was revealed to him that Terry Runnels had completely conned him by faking her pregnancy. Apparently, we're just not going to address that anymore, I guess? You'd think, given the fact that PMS manipulated him for several weeks, Delo would want to get revenge on them, but no, I guess he's just moving on to chasing the tag titles. Clearly, paying off an angle is overrated, folks. Not that I necessarily want the angle to continue, but it would certainly make sense if it did. So, as for the D'Lo Jarrett match, it only lasted for about a minute. At one point, Owen Hart grabbed D'Lo's leg, which resulted in Mark Henry going over to confront Owen. This distracted referee Jimmy Corderas, which allowed Jarrett to put D'Lo into the figure four. However, when he did that, Ivory came into the ring and distracted Double J. And that provided the perfect opportunity for D'Lo to hit him with his sky-high spine buster. Corderas then turned back around, and he counted the one, the two, and the three. Your winner of the match, D'Lo Brown, thanks to a huge assist from Ivory. And speaking of which, after the match, Deborah entered the ring and got in her face, which resulted in Ivory slapping Deborah. From there, it devolved into a catfight until each valet's tag team grabbed her and pulled her away. This Sunday, Jarrett and Owen will defend their tag team titles against Mark and D'Lo, and I can only assume that Deborah and Ivory will play a big part as well. Find out on the next episode! From there, we cut to footage from earlier today when the production team was setting up in the empty arena. Fun fact about the Sky Dome, there is actually a hotel which is directly attached to the building, and it has rooms which overlook the arena. And so, when the production team turned on their cameras, they zoomed in on one of the hotel rooms where we could see Val Venus in a towel emerging from the shower. And then, shortly after that, Ryan Shamrock also came out of the shower wearing a towel. And after a commercial break, we then get a quick video recap of the feud between Val Venus and Ken Shamrock, and that segues us back into the arena, where Val is heading to the ring, along with, of course, Ryan Shamrock. Kevin Kelly is in the ring to interview them, but he pretty much only gets to ask one question before Ken Shamrock runs to the ring and starts beating the crap out of Val. Eventually, a bunch of referees run down to the ring and try to intervene, but Shamrock destroys all of them. Tim White gets a clothesline, then Mike Chioda gets a belly-to-belly -belly suplex, Earl Hebner gets a headbutt, and then Jimmy Corderas gets a belly-to-belly -belly as well, followed by an ankle lock. And while all of this referee murdering is going on, Val Venus takes Ryan by the hand and walks her backstage. What a coward. He could have stayed and fought, but no. And then, after a commercial break, we get a quick cut backstage where Ryan is now massaging Val's shoulders. He tells her that Ken may be her brother, but, quote, I'm gonna end it tonight. And that seems like a bit of a strange threat, considering the fact that they're supposed to be fighting each other at the pay-per-view tomorrow night, but sure, we'll see how that goes. From there, we head back into the arena for our next match, Goldust versus WWF light heavyweight champion Gilberg in a non-title match. And amusingly, before the match begins, an usher gets up on the ring apron and presents Goldust with a blue box of chocolates and a bouquet of blue roses, to which Goldust responds by shoving the usher and throwing the gifts to the floor. 
And clearly, this is a callback to Goldust's feud with Razor Ramon in 1996, where he involved an usher and pretty much did the same thing. But this time around, it's obviously Blue Dust playing mind games with Goldust instead. And then, in another entertaining moment, after Gilbert does his elaborate parody of Goldberg's entrance, he goes to put a foot up on the ring steps, and he trips and almost falls. Funny enough, I'm pretty sure that part was not intentional, but it certainly works well for the Gilbert character. Also, when I saw that the match was scheduled to be Goldust versus Gilberg, I couldn't help but think, wouldn't it be fitting if Goldust ended up putting one of his wigs on Gilberg's head? Didn't happen, though, so I guess we'll just have to wait another four years before he does that in a backstage segment. So anyway, as you'd expect, Goldust was well on his way to squashing Gilberg, quickly beating him down, and getting ready to hit him with his finishing move, but then something interesting happened. Poor Gilbert, I'm afraid he's still going to be looking for number one. Here we go. Curtain call time. Curtain call time. King, you know, you never know. What oh, you're my gonna... gosh. Oh. See here in the WWF, but this really takes the game. What do you see at the end of the... Wait a minute. Uh-oh. He hasn't won yet. Playing his music a bit early here. We're going pin Gilbert. Wow, no. It's blue dust. Idiot! Yes. Yes. Gold dust. Oh my gosh! You will definitely never forget the name of. So yes, as you heard there, Goldust's music played, but then we saw Blue Dust on the Titantron, and, uh, well, it wasn't pretty, because the Blue Meanie was completely naked and covered in blue body paint, with only some blue roses covering his crotch. However, this distracted Goldust long enough for Gilberg to roll him up and score the three count. Yes, that's right, Gilberg's streak is over. An angry Goldust then took his frustrations out on Gilberg and hit him with shattered dreams, but then the lights went out. 
And clearly, the Blue Meanie wasn't merely content with just parodying Goldust, because he then also mocked the Brood by giving Goldust a blue bath and covering him in blue paint. The humiliated Goldust then walked the backstage area, and that was how we wrapped things up. I have to say, as gross as it was, I did chuckle at the Blue Meanie's naked Goldust impression. Somehow, Meanie has been getting a fair amount of airtime over the past few weeks, but at least he's making the most of it, I guess. Also, I had completely forgotten that Gilberg won a match so soon into his run. Dwayne Gill made the switch and became Gilberg only about a month ago, and in my head, I thought he went winless for a long time. But no, he just pinned Goldust cleanly after only a few weeks of playing the character. Go figure. But speaking of Gilberg, I'm afraid I have some bad news here, folks. This is Gilberg's last ever match on Monday Night Raw. And frankly, I'm as shocked as you are because I thought he had way more than that. But no, Gilbert gets a whopping two matches on Raw before being relegated to just a handful of appearances between now and when he leaves the WWF next year. And I was going to do my usual custom of sending a departing superstar to Wrestler Heaven, but, uh, not in this case. But farewell, Dwayne Gill. You definitely made the most out of the character. I will certainly give you that. So from there, we cut backstage, where Kevin Kelly and his gross goatee are standing by with senior WWF official Earl Hebner. Earl says he has some Stone Cold t-shirts in the trunk of his car that he can sell to Kevin for a discounted price. And, oh, no, oh, sorry, sorry, he, he doesn't say that. Not, not on camera, anyway. Earl says that because Ken Shamrock attacked pretty much every referee on the roster a little while ago, he is not going to let any of them officiate Shamrock's match against Val Venus this Sunday. As such, if no one volunteers to referee the match, Shamrock will be forced to forfeit the Intercontinental title over to Val instead. So, okay, wait a minute here. I understand Hebner not wanting any of the referees to be put in danger, but since when does he have the power to basically strip Shamrock of the title and put it on Val? Isn't that something that a commissioner would have to weigh in on? And also, if he's saying anyone can volunteer, doesn't that mean that Shamrock's tag team partner, the big boss man, could theoretically just step in, be a completely biased ref, and help Shamrock retain the belt? I'm just saying, not a lot of this makes sense, even by Attitude Era standards. And oh, by the way, more on Earl Hebner later on in this show. So after a commercial break, we go back to the arena where DX's music plays, bringing out Triple H, WWF European Champion X-Pac, WWF Hardcore Champion The Road Dog, and Billy Gunn, who is suspiciously wearing a baggy black sweatshirt. While they're coming to the ring, Michael Cole informs us that a match has been made for St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Triple H and X-Pac versus China and Kane. If you recall the last moments of Raw last week, China issued a challenge to Triple H at the pay-per-view, but now we know that it will actually be a tag match instead of a one-on-one -on -one encounter. And I'm going to go ahead and play DX's promo for you here, because they do a good job setting up their feuds heading into the pay-per-view. St. Valentine's Day Massacre. China. You want to be a man? You want to play in a man's world? Well, here's your big chance, baby. Only problem is, China, you're stepping up to the plate, but you're not carrying a bat. 
As a matter of fact, you can't even draw a walk because you're not playing with any balls. China, you think you're my equal? Well, at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, let's find out whose arrow hits the mark. Whoa! I still, Jay, I still say the Blue Jays would draft China. For those of you who didn't happen to see Raw last week, I slammed the steel cage door into Kane's head and made him bleed like a pig. Biggest mistake you ever made. Well, it just so happens tonight, it's going to be Kane and X-Pac right here on Raw. And I ain't got a problem with that one bit because I ain't afraid of nobody, Kane. And as for you, Shane McMahon, my friend, if you seriously think you can kick my ass to steal a line from a good old friend of mine, don't sing it, bring it! X-Pac with pointed words to one of the owners. No respect. Now then, Toronto! Let's kick it for him one time, doggy style, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Generation X proudly brings to you its former tag team champions of the world, the Road Dog, Dizzy James, the badass Billy Gunn, the new My message is short and sweet. Al Snow, you know they say that two out of three ain't bad. But there will be no third game for you and your bodiless bitch. Because in Memphis, Tennessee, at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the D-O-double-G is going to walk a mud hole in your ass and I'm on a moonwalk it dry. Road Dog Al Snow this Sunday pay-per-view. Well, gee whiz, guys. Looks like all of you guys got matches at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. I don't think that's fair. I thought I was the number one contender for the Intercontinental title. I, I, I got to figure out some way to get into it. Well, hold, I know. Hold on a second. You're going to apply for a job at the Foot Locker. No, dumbass. Kenny, Val, happy Valentine's Day. Because at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, you're looking at your ref. Wait a minute. Can he do that? He can do what now, he wants. If you're not down with us, we got two words for you.
You know, I didn't count how many times they mentioned Valentine's Day in that promo, but needless to say, they were selling the pay-per-view pretty hard. Also, as you heard there, X-Pac let us know that he will face Kane tonight on Raw, and in addition to that, Billy Gunn removed his baggy black sweatshirt to reveal a referee shirt underneath, so he has now appointed himself to be the special guest referee for the Intercontinental title match between Ken Shamrock and Val Venus. So fellas, if you made Valentine's Day plans with your wife or significant other, be sure to cancel them immediately and order the pay-per-view instead. Surely she'll understand, and she won't harbor any resentment toward you whatsoever. No way, no way. Oh, and speaking of special guest referees, after a commercial break, we go back into the arena where Vince McMahon is walking to the ring, and he's wearing a far-too-small referee shirt. And that means that it is now time for our non-title match, surprisingly only halfway through the show, WWF Champion Mankind versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. However, before the match can begin, Vince has some words for both competitors, so let's take a listen to what he has to say. As the official in this match, let's get this together, come on. I want some action. What a ref. Got it, Murray. This is no ordinary wrestling match. I don't want to see any handshakes. Right. Throw the rule book out the window. Who could ask for more? Eye gouging, perfectly legal. <laughs> the use of chairs, tables, and assorted other furniture. Quite acceptable. Right up up Mankind's alley. Kicks to the groin. Uh Uh-oh. Quite frankly, would be appreciated. (laughs) King, please. So therefore, let's get this thing on. And I want you to show the world, both of you, exactly who I know you are. A bunch of Neanderthal animals. (laughs) Now let's get it on. Yes. So now basically, we... basically what you're saying is you want somebody here to get their ass beat. Is that clear? I want somebody in this. I want somebody's ass kicked. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen, Vince. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to get my ass kicked. Mankind ain't gonna get his ass kicked. What? Uh oh. So I guess that means it's you that's gonna get your ass kicked. What's he talking about? Stone Cold can't touch him or he's fired. Come on. Listen. No, 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 no. No, no. I'm not gonna kick your ass. Mankind ain't gonna kick your ass. He's gonna kick your ass. Oh no, Sacco! Sacco! Mr. Sacco in the gullet of Mr. McMahon! Get help! Get help! So, yes, Vince said he wanted to see someone get their ass kicked, which resulted in Mankind putting Mr. Sacco into the boss's mouth. Remember that Austin can't lay a finger on Vince before the pay-per-view or he's fired, but Mankind and Mr. Sacco have no such restrictions. From there, The Rock, 
Kane, Ken Shamrock, the big boss man, and Test all ran down to the ring to try and help out the chairman, but Stone Cold and Mankind were successfully able to dispatch all five of them, which kind of made the corporation look like jobbers for the very first time. And after a quick commercial break, Vince then re-emerged from backstage with a microphone and laid out a new challenge. In case Stone Cold thought he got the better of the corporation tonight, he should think again, because Vince is now ordering Austin to run the gauntlet tonight. That's right, he must wrestle until he beats every member of the corporation, or just one of them defeats him. Ouch. Funny enough, though, Vince doesn't announce any sort of punishment for Mankind, who just put Socko down his throat only a few minutes ago. Must be in a rather forgiving mood for some reason. So we then segue into our next match, Viscera, accompanied by Midian, versus The Godfather, accompanied by what I suppose you could call three Toronto hoes. Before the match, The Godfather grabs a mic, and I have to say, it's weird hearing him say, it's time once again for everybody to come aboard the ho train without the crowd chanting along with him at this point he just recently debuted that catchphrase so we don't get the sing-along routine with the crowd just yet but don't worry it's it's coming soon so as if this viscera godfather match couldn't possibly get any better midian goes over to cole and lawler and joins them on commentary but thankfully that doesn't last very long because once godfather hits viscera with a shoulder block and knocks him to the ground midian leaves the commentary table runs into the ring and attacks Godfather, resulting in a disqualification. Well, at least they kept it short. From there, Midian slams the Godfather to the mat, followed by Viscera hitting not one, but two splashes onto him. Michael Cole then informs us that Midian will face the big boss man at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which makes zero goddamn sense, because the Ministry and the Corporation do not have any sort of feud going on right now. But then again... Who needs build-up when you have two ring generals like Midian and the Big Boss Man? Yeesh. And after the match concludes, we then cut backstage where we see Val Venus and Ken Shamrock brawling with each other in the locker room. Thankfully, Billy Gunn then shows up on the scene and seemingly tries to separate them, but then he joins in and starts beating on them as well. And at this point, we get a signature trademark of Billy Gunn's, which I have pointed out on previous episodes of this podcast. When he starts throwing punches, he yells out, wham, when he does it. Hey, wait! Back in the locker room! Salvinus! Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen! Hey, 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 you guys, cut it out! Hey, hold on! Cut Billy it out! Gunn. Cut it out! Cut it out! Oh, wait! Oh, Billy Gunn now involved! Is this, is what, is this what's gonna happen this Sunday? Mr. Ass supplying his own sound effects. I kind of wish the WWF would have noticed this trend of his and started having him come out to a song by the band Wham, but they obviously missed the boat there. So eventually the corporation, DX, and some backstage officials managed to separate everyone involved, but clearly this feud is showing no signs of letting up. And speaking of the corporation and DX, after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our next match, Kane accompanied by China versus WWF European champion X-Pac in a non-title match. I'm not sure why Vince McMahon wouldn't have made X-Pac defend his belt against a corporation member here, but hey, whatever. So this match only went for 2 minutes and 58 seconds, but sadly, that makes it easily the longest match of the night so far. After X-Pac kicked Kane in the stomach a few times, he grabbed him by the hair, seemingly ready to hit him with the X-Factor, but before he could do it, 
China snuck into the ring behind him and nailed him with a low blow, resulting in, you guessed it, a disqualification. From there, China and Kane started putting the boots to X-Pac until China picked up Pac and got him in position for a pedigree. However, before she could deliver the move, Triple H ran out from backstage to help out his friend. Now, obviously, my main question here would be, why the hell wasn't Hunter at ringside for this match in the first place? But we'll put that aside. So Triple H and X-Pac clotheslined Kane over the top rope, leaving China alone in the ring. To her credit, she didn't back down, and instead she charged right at both men and attempted a double clothesline, but they ducked out of the way. Kane then grabbed China's leg and pulled her out of the ring, and Shane McMahon also ran out from backstage to tell her to save it for Sunday. So there you go, more table setting for St. Valentine's Day Massacre. I kind of wish they trusted China enough to just have her face Triple H one-on-one, but she's only had a handful of matches at this point, so I can understand the need to make it a tag match. Still, though... It would have been entertaining, to say the least. Now at this point, something rather important is actually edited out of the broadcast on the WWE Network. After this segment, what initially happened on the original broadcast was that we cut backstage where Road Dog was shown unconscious on the floor of the locker room, bleeding from the ear. Now, because they edited this out on the network, the segment which comes up next actually kind of makes Road Dog look like a bitch, and you'll see what I mean in just a moment. And for the record, I have no idea why they edited out the unconscious road dog because they actually do show the clip on Sunday Night Heat on the network, so your guess is as good as mine, folks. But anyway, after commercial break, Al Snow and Head make their way to the ring. But fear not, Al grabs a microphone in case you had been worried that some actual wrestling might occur on this show. So Al says that he's looking forward to his two out of three falls hardcore title match against the Road Dog on Sunday, and in fact, he's looking forward to it so much that he doesn't want to wait. Al then proceeds to call out Road Dog and ask him to come to the ring right now, but he doesn't show up. Al even starts humming the final Jeopardy theme song from the TV show Jeopardy, but still, no Road Dog due to his attack backstage. So Al then says that if Road Dog won't have a hardcore match with him tonight, Instead, he'll have a hardcore match with himself. And so, from there, Al then goes under the ring and pulls out quite a few of the typical hardcore match items. A table, a broom, a fire extinguisher, and a cookie sheet, which amusingly has actual cookies on it. And yes, true to his word, Al Snow then does indeed proceed to start kicking his own ass, smacking himself with the cookie sheet, breaking the broom over his head, and spraying the fire extinguisher directly into his own face. From there, he then positions the table inside of the ring, goes to the top rope, and hits a moonsault to put himself through the table. I swear, all of this happened, and no, it is not at all a huge waste of television time. From there, Al's job squad stablemate Bob Holly then came to the ring and tried to get him to stop beating his own ass, to which Al responded by punching him in the face. Both men then started brawling with each other through the crowd and near the ringside area, which culminated in, yes, of course, both men giving each other unprotected chair shots to the skull. I'm pretty sure we have now had chair shots to the skull on every episode of Raw so far in 1999, so we're certainly in a new world now, folks. And by the way, when Al Snow takes the chair shot, he actually gets back up smiling and laughing, and this is something which he ends up doing on multiple occasions. 
And I bring this up because on an episode of Sunday Night Heat about two months from now, when Mankind is having a birthday party for Mr. Sacco, Foley actually mocks Al for his tendency to do this in a pretty memorable line. Well, if I could, I'd first like to say a little congratulations to Al Snow for landing that lucrative endorsement deal with Lazy Boy, which is surprising because Al usually doesn't sell chairs. And, by the way, in case you were wondering, we never actually end up getting a match between Al Snow and Bob Holly here. Instead, referees eventually run out from backstage and separate them, so this whole segment was mostly a waste of time. But now, it appears that Al Snow has segued into a feud with Bob Holly, and the road dog is seemingly removed from the picture. Is that actually the case? Well, I'll address the road dog situation more toward the end of the show, and, uh... Let's just say there's a reason why he's being phased out of this feud. Not good times. So after a commercial break, speaking of guys who shouldn't get mic time, Kevin Kelly is now standing by backstage with Darren Drozdov. Kevin asks Droz what his beef is with the oddities lately, and he even says, quote, Everybody loves the oddities. Yes, Kevin, they're so beloved that the WWF releases all three of their asses in the next few weeks. Draws then turns the table on Kevin Kelly and asks him why Kevin referred to him as a punk when he was on commentary during Sunday Night Heat last week. And when Kevin Kelly can't provide him with a reasonable answer, Draws punches him right in the mouth. And then when Kevin falls to the ground, Draws even slaps him in the face once more for good measure. Now, you know, I had been pretty negative when it came to this newer, meaner Draws angle, but all of a sudden, I am completely in favor of it. Huh, I wonder why. But anyway, before Draws can inflict any more pain on Kevin Kelly, Steve Blackman shows up and pulls him off of the helpless interviewer. Draws then tells Blackman that this doesn't involve him, and then, in a weird little moment, I'm pretty sure Draws calls him White Man under his breath, presumably to, uh, point out that Blackman is a white man despite his last name? Listen for yourself and see if you can hear this too. Thanks for stating the obvious there, Draws. And surprisingly, that actually segues us back into the arena where, yes, Steve Blackman makes his entrance, and if you want to hear a crowd of more than 40,000 people somehow go completely silent, take a listen to Blackman's entrance. But then the fans immediately wake up, because his opponent tonight is, of all people, The Rock. I will admit, they did mention earlier in the show that we would be getting Rock versus Blackman, but I had totally forgotten about it at this point, so when Rock's music hit, I was kind of like, what the fuck? Not exactly a matchup you would expect, to say the least. One awesome touch here, as I previously mentioned, there is a hotel attached to the arena, and we can see that someone rented one of the suites and put a sign up in the window of the hotel room, which says, of course, Smackdown Hotel. That guy gets it. And before the match begins, The Rock grabs a mic and says just one thing. Unfortunately for you, The Rock is going to have to kick your Rudy Pooh candy ass. So in case you were wondering which catchphrase The Rock was most looking to get over at this point in time, now you know. The Rock, by the way, is still wearing his full black tracksuit because, of course, nothing says corporate like a guy who looks like he's about to go run a few laps. So early on, you could clearly hear the fans loudly chanting Rocky, 
And I should point out that Toronto is a city which has the reputation for being bizarro land, where the fans tend to boo the faces and cheer the heels. Look no further than SummerSlam 2004 if you want to see what I'm talking about. And by the way, SummerSlam will be in Toronto again in 2019, so you can almost certainly bank on the fact that Michael Cole will be going on and on about how great the WWE fans are as they proceed to completely ruin the show. But that's a whole other story. Anyway, my point is that in the case of the Toronto fans cheering The Rock here on Raw, I don't think it's because they're trying to be snarky. I think it's mostly a factor of The Rock being so damn entertaining, while Steve Blackman is, uh, Steve Blackman. Or, if you're draws, Steve Whiteman. And shortly after those Rocky chants, The Rock gave us another entertaining moment when he hit Blackman with a DDT, but then he did the Karate Kid crane pose to mock Blackman's martial arts background. Pretty funny stuff. So anyway, Blackman did briefly regain control of the match, but when he went for a bicycle kick, Rock moved out of the way, causing Blackman to accidentally crotch himself on the top rope. From there, he hit Blackman with a rock bottom, followed by a corporate elbow, which got a huge pop. And that was enough to score the one, the two, and the three. Your winner of this completely random matchup, The Rock. But will he be successful this Sunday in his last man standing match against WWF champion Mankind? I guess we shall see. And after a commercial break, we once again go back into the arena, where it is now time for your main event, Stone Cold Steve Austin running the gauntlet against the corporation. Interestingly, though, it appears that it may not be the entire corporation that Austin has to face after all, because only Kane, China, the big boss man, Ken Shamrock, and Tess come to the ring. Presumably, since The Rock just wrestled that oh-so-grueling match against Steve Blackman, he doesn't have to compete in this one. And, of course, Vince and Shane McMahon are also at ringside as well. And when Stone Cold makes his entrance, we get a shot of the crowd where we see future Hall of Fame basketball player Ray Allen cheering him on and saying, that's my boy right there. Fun fact, Ray Allen signs a six-year, $71 million contract with the Milwaukee Bucks literally two days after this episode of Raw. So between the Monday it was taped and the Saturday when it actually aired, he got himself a rather nice payday. Not too shabby. So the first man to face Austin will be your reigning WWF Intercontinental Champion, Ken Shamrock. And shortly after the match begins, those friendly Canadian fans immediately start loudly chanting, You screwed Brett. Initially, I thought they were directing those chants at Vince, but then I realized that the referee for the match was Earl Hebner. Suddenly, it started to make more sense. And by the way, how crazy is it that we're just over a year removed from the Montreal Screwjob, where the company was at one of its lowest points, and now the WWF has packed over 40,000 of Bret Hart's fellow Canadians into the Sky Dome? If you had told WWF executives that that would have been a possibility back in November of 97, I feel like that would have been unfathomable to even the company's biggest ass-kissers. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard. So anyway, Shamrock actually does manage to put the ankle lock on Stone Cold, but Austin kicks him away, sending Shamrock off the ropes, where he then gets a boot to the stomach, followed by, you guessed it, a Stone Cold stunner. However, before Hebner can count to three, Test runs into the ring and kicks Austin. Shamrock then rolls out of the ring and Test takes his place, even though there was never actually a pinfall. Michael Cole tells us that Test's run-in actually caused Shamrock to get disqualified, which I would normally say would be a fine explanation, 
except for the fact that the terms were laid out in Tony Chimmel's pre-match introduction. The following tournament match will be decided by pinfall or submission. So Chimmel clearly says pinfall or submission, so that would mean there shouldn't be any disqualifications, correct? Unless we're supposed to assume that the stipulations only apply to Stone Cold, so the corporation could be disqualified, but Austin couldn't? But of course, that would make no fucking sense, would it? Sorry, sorry, I'll just move on because everything is starting to smell like burnt toast for me right now. So after Stone Cold fights Tess for a little more than a minute, Tess charged at him for a clothesline, but Austin ducked, kicked him in the stomach, and then hit Tess with a stunner. And yet again, when Austin went to pin him, another corporation member broke up the pinfall, and this time it was Kane. So yes, Kane then took Tess's place in the match, so I think it's fair to now assume that Test has been disqualified as well. Sure, why not? On commentary to his credit, Jerry Lawler then tries to defend these hijinks by saying that Mr. McMahon doesn't care if the corporation actually wins the match, he just wants Stone Cold to be weakened before the cage match this Sunday. And you know what? From a kayfabe perspective, I think that actually does make sense, so I'll give a couple kudos to the King for trying to sell this thing. Now, when Austin and Kane are in the ring, it starts to get a little bit ugly. Why? Because quite a few Toronto fans start throwing garbage into the ring while the match is going on. Throughout the night, you could periodically see fans throwing trash at some of the heels when they walked down the aisle, but now the fans have just flat out started pelting the ring with garbage. At one point on the hard camera side, you can even see one of the security guards stand up and yell at the crowd not to throw anything. And initially, I thought this was due to the fact that the fans had been drinking all night and were starting to get rowdy, but now I think that the reason for throwing the trash may actually be because Earl Hebner was in the ring at the time. In fact, I'm pretty sure that was the reason. But getting back to the match, Kane eventually picked Austin up for a tombstone, but Stone Cold wriggled free, kicked him in the stomach, and yes, we got our third stunner of the match. However... China then snuck into the ring behind Hebner's back and hit Austin with a low blow, and then, even though Hebner didn't see the low blow, he apparently disqualified Kane because he ordered the Big Red Machine to leave the ring, as if this match could possibly make less sense. So China immediately goes for a clothesline, but of course, you know what happens next. Austin ducks, then a kick, then a stunner, but this time the big boss man ran into the ring to make the save, and he is seemingly the last member of the corporation remaining in the gauntlet match. And shortly after he enters, Vince McMahon tosses boss man his nightstick, and boss man then starts beating on Stone Cold with it in full view of referee Earl Hebner. Strangely though, Hebner never signals for disqualification and the bell doesn't ring, so apparently the match is continuing? And so, once boss man incapacitates Austin with the nightstick... Vince McMahon enters the ring. He then removes his suit coat and shirt to show off his far too muscular physique, and he proceeds to taunt Stone Cold before getting on top of him to pin him. Vince orders Earl Hebner to count, so Hebner counts the one, the two, and holy shit, Vince McMahon actually gets a fucking three count on Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mark that one in your calendar, folks. Stone Cold just took a pinfall loss on Monday Night Raw. Now, because it's such a rarity, I had to do some digging to find out when exactly was the last time that Stone Cold took a pinfall loss on Raw. And the answer is... Never! 
That's right, Austin has been with the WWF for just over three years now, and this is literally the first time he has ever suffered a pinfall loss on Monday Night Raw. Not even when he was the ringmaster. Three straight years of being undefeated on Raw, but now, much like Gilberg, the streak is over. And of all people, Vince McMahon is the guy to pin him. Now, of course, technically this is a win for the corporation, not just Vince, even though Tony Chimmel literally only announces Vince as the winner, but still, it goes in the books as a pinfall loss for Stone Cold. Pretty crazy. So, anyway, after the pinfall is registered, the chairman pours beer on Austin, which starts to revive him, so Vince orders the other corporation members to drag Stone Cold into one of the corners. From outside the ring, the boss man and Shamrock hold Austin's arms back, and at this point, we get the famous visual of Vince getting right up into Stone Cold's face and yelling at him that the WWF will never be the same for him again after this Sunday. And by the way, one thing which gets lost to history here is the fact that the fans are continuously trying to pelt Earl Hebner with their drink cups at this point, so much so that you can actually see him standing behind Vince and deflecting them away with his hands, which of course causes the crowd to laugh and throw more drinks at him. Good lord. Let that be a lesson, folks. Don't screw over a Canadian in his home country, or those loyal Canucks will drop those friendly personas at the drop of a hat. But anyway, we go off the air with that famous shot of a helpless Stone Cold being verbally abused by Vince, completely unable to fight back because his contract stipulates that he would be fired if he did. Definitely a very strong note to end the show on, but of course, we're not done yet. So on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seas back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been dug in. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they pluckin'. The WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The Ratings Recap Now obviously, since Raw was bumped to a Saturday night, they weren't going to do nearly as strong of a rating as usual, but even still, despite being put on Saturday, they still managed a 4.3 rating. I know that doesn't sound impressive, but to retain a sizable portion of your audience five days after the show actually airs, that's no small feat. Especially when you consider that Saturdays are usually the nights with the fewest television viewers, since people are usually out and about. Well, maybe not wrestling fans, but you get the idea. So how did Nitro do when it aired unopposed on Monday night? Well, WCW's flagship show scored a whopping 5.67 rating, which is their second highest rating of all time. However, just for some perspective, Nitro scored a 5.67 rating this week while being completely unopposed. Meanwhile, last week, Raw scored a 5.71 and that was when it was up against Nitro. Needless to say, the WWF is clearly in control right now. But as always, for the sake of comparison, here's what you could have been watching over on the TNT network. Rey Mysterio defeated Blitzkrieg. Booker T defeated Fit Finley. Barry Windham and Kurt Hennig defeated Brian Adams and Horace. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Kenny Chaos. 
Vincent defeated Ernest the Cat Miller. Yes, that's right. The former Virgil was still getting time to wrestle on Nitro in 1999. Roddy Piper defeated Bret Hart to win the United States Championship. And by the way, this is a whole seven years after their classic match at WrestleMania 8. The one difference, though, is that in this Nitro match, Bret ended up losing due to a distraction from Will Sasso, one of the stars of Mad TV, and I wish I was making that up. And in your main event, Ric Flair and Steve Mongo McMichael versus The Outsiders ended in a no contest when the match devolved into a schmoz due to outside interference. In addition to that, all throughout the night we got some rather bizarre segments. They were filmed from the cameraman's perspective, all while a beautiful blonde woman was looking into the camera and attempting to seduce him. Now, obviously, the camera guy is essentially a stand-in for some unnamed WCW wrestler, but because we never see shots like this in wrestling, it's just kind of... strange. So they start in a bar, then a limo, then a hotel elevator, and then eventually a hotel room. So take a listen to this porno-caliber dialogue and see if you can figure out who the sexy blonde woman is. I saw you with those guys over there. They are so cool. And you are so fine. Got a limo parked outside. Let's go for a ride. Don't you want to come sit next to me? I know you're not shy. I've seen the way you act on TV. I promise I won't bite. It's not too much. So in case you couldn't guess, these segments marked the WCW debut of Tori Wilson playing the character of Samantha. And spoiler alert, it eventually ends up being revealed that this whole time, Tori was attempting to seduce David Flair. Yes, that's right. One of the most beautiful women to ever grace professional wrestling debuted in WCW by saying, You are so fine to that rosy-cheeked little bitch. But then again, she ends up marrying Billy Kidman in real life, and he ain't exactly a looker, so who knows? Maybe she has a type. Maybe she has a type. And speaking of vignettes, we also got some more bizarre pre-taped segments on this show, and these ones, well, they pretty much kill off the mystique of the Raven character. Why? Because Canyon goes to his house, and yes, Raven reveals that this whole persona of his was just a gimmick to piss off his wealthy mother. And these segments are made all the more obnoxious by the fact that Raven occasionally looks directly into the camera to address us, the viewer. So take a listen. This is ridiculous. 
How many homes they got? Stay here with him. Please say you will. And please, please, Chris, don't let him leave the house. Stay right. with him. I'll All be right. back as soon right. as I can. Thank you. All right. Hey, Rave. Can I tell you, man, your mom's real worried about you. And so am I, man. There's a lot of people are. You, you got to break out of this, man. What a mark. <laughs> Canyon, you ever heard the expression that money can't buy happiness? Yeah. Well, obviously, that was written by some really poor guy. Follow. Don't you always depressed? What's there to be depressed about? I got cars like these. These are yours? Yeah. Then why are we always drive around a piece of crap? <laughs> you don't get it. Because it drives her crazy. Get in, Canyon. Come on, we got stuff to do. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. Oh, sorry. I, uh, I added that last part. Regina George from Mean Girls did not actually show up at the end of that segment, but you get the idea. And from there, Raven and Canyon drive off in a yellow Ferrari and go on a shopping spree where we get some rather familiar dialogue. Going in here? Versace? What is that? I, I never even heard of it. What are we doing here? Thank you for Versace. It's Versace. What a maroon. Go on, I'm buying you some clothes. Huh, now that's strange. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. I wonder where that was. <laughs> nice dress. Thanks. I bought it at Versace. In the forum? Oh, yeah, Versace. I love Versace. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Oh, yeah, that's right. WCW is now officially stealing lines from the cinematic masterpiece Showgirls, which should really let you know how far they've fallen at this point. But now, regarding these Rich Kid Raven segments, I suppose your mileage may vary as to whether or not you think this enhances Raven's character or kills it. Personally, I vote for the latter. But no matter your opinion, I think we can all agree that having him look directly into the camera and break the fourth wall as though he was fucking Deadpool should never happen. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's some annoying shit right there. But anyway, here's the point. Last week, I read that excerpt from the death of WCW, which stated that Kevin Nash's big idea for how to compete with the WWF is to do a bunch of vignettes and backstage segments like they do on Raw, and man oh man, as you just heard, that is particularly evident on this episode of Nitro. And that also provides a fitting segue into this week's excerpt from the book The Death of WCW by R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. Quote, The pre-tapes were in full effect on the February 8th Nitro. However, there was an additional change. For whatever reason, it was decided that only fans at home would see the pre-tapes. The announcers, who had monitors sitting right there in front of them, were commanded to act as though they didn't see any of the stuff going on backstage. The fans were already conditioned to think that WCW announcers were morons, and this didn't help matters. Instead of easing into the tape segments, it was overkill to the point that, when it was over, it seemed like there had been more vignettes than wrestling matches. So there you go. Memo to WCW, you probably should just stay in your own lane. And on that note, let's take it to 
the raw synopsis. So I've said it before on this podcast, but I'll repeat it here. Before going back and reviewing these old episodes of Raw, my memory of 1999 was that it was the year where the bizarre storylines were amped up while the wrestling content was further and further de-emphasized. And these past two episodes of Raw have certainly backed up my recollection in that regard because they have been not good. And frankly, I'm surprised they would put on such a lackluster program when they knew that the show would be taking place in the Sky Dome. I mean, seriously, you know you're going to have a massive crowd and you give them a five-minute segment where Al Snow cuts a promo and then fights himself. Not exactly the best use of time. Not to mention the fact that they flat-out announced a Mankind vs. Stone Cold main event, and they clearly had no intention of delivering on it. Granted, having Austin run the gauntlet against the corporation made sense from Vince's perspective, but to be honest, I was pretty psyched for Foley vs. Austin on free TV, especially given the fact that they've been teasing that as a potential WrestleMania main event over the past few weeks. Alas, it was not to be. And so, for the second week in a row, I have to give a thumbs down to this episode of Raw. It certainly seems like we're entering the Crash TV portion of the Attitude Era, and so far, that has not been a good thing. Here's hoping that the shows improve going forward on the road to WrestleMania. And before we finish up, here are a few notes from this week's edition of the Wrestling Observer. In the WWF, probably the biggest news which broke this week is the fact that Sable has asked for her release from the company. As of right now, the WWF isn't planning on cutting her loose since she's going to be gracing the cover of Playboy in April and they want to ride that publicity wave for a while. And also this week, Sable once again didn't endear herself to her colleagues when she appeared on a Canadian program called The Gallagher Show alongside Deborah and China. Basically, someone wrote in and asked if China wants Sable's women's championship, to which China responded by saying that she would flatten Sable in two seconds, and Sable responded to that by accusing China of using steroids. Needless to say, that didn't go over very well. And I'll actually go ahead and play that clip for you at the end of the podcast here, since I'm kind of light on clips so far this week. Meanwhile, WCW is rumored to be offering Chris Jericho $750,000 a year to stay with the company, but Jericho still hasn't accepted. Dave Meltzer speculates that the WWF likely would not be able to match that same offer, but Jericho's career would probably be better off up north. Hey, maybe someday we'll get to find out. In other WCW news, the latest Thunder taping was held in Providence, Rhode Island, and the show was so poorly received by the fans that they started chanting backlash since that WWF pay-per-view will be held in Providence two months from now. Ouch. Meltzer also writes about an amateur wrestler who is currently a junior at the University of Minnesota, and he says the WWF is likely interested in signing him further down the line. That collegiate wrestler's name... Brock Lesnar. Well, we won't see him on our timeline, but I think it's safe to say that Meltzer called that one pretty well in advance. And finally, we have multiple instances of bad news for the road dog Jesse James this week. On the night before this episode of Raw was taped, he had a major scare during a house show at Madison Square Garden. The top rope was a bit too loose, which resulted in him accidentally falling to the floor and landing on his fucking head. This resulted in him being put into a cervical collar and being stretchered out of the arena, which caused the show to come to a halt for about 15 minutes. 
The good news is that it ended up being just a stinger as opposed to a serious neck injury, but he obviously won't be wrestling at St. Valentine's Day Massacre as a result. But, unfortunately, that's not all that went wrong for him at this point. Why? Because, in addition to that injury, Road Dog is expected to check himself into rehab this week. In the present day in 2018, Road Dog has been open about the fact that he struggled with an addiction to drugs, alcohol, and painkillers, so 1999 is a particularly bad time for him right now. So in case you were wondering on Raw why they pivoted from Al Snow vs. Road Dog to Al Snow vs. Bob Holly, now you know why. However, if it's any consolation, I will say Snow vs. Holly does end up being pretty entertaining, most notably for one spot in particular, so stay tuned for the next episode for that. But in the meantime, hopefully we'll see Road Dog pop up on Raw again soon when he gets himself all sorted out. And so, on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. And also, don't forget, patreon.com slash rawattitudepodcast, where you can get all sorts of bonus content. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will now leave you with that aforementioned clip from The Gallagher Show, which aired during this week, where Sable got a bit too personal and accused China of using steroids. So enjoy that clip, and I will catch you next time when either Adam or another special guest will join the show to recap St. Valentine's Day Massacre and the following night's episode of Raw. See you then. All right, Johnny, you're up. Uh, I have absolutely no interest in the women's belt. It says, uh, first of all, it would take me two seconds to get it. <laughs> Let me just be the first to say that you and I have never fought, so you are totally not sure of yourself about that. All right. Is there anybody in here that doesn't think that I could squash Sable in a second? Sable? You know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but I have a lot of confidence in myself, and uh, I say you can. You know, I think it it takes a lot of... uh, doesn't take a lot of guts for China to say what she just said, but I think it really demeans the women's division, and she needs to remember that this is a company, and we all work for the same company. And uh, just because we don't do exactly the same things you do to get the body you have, doesn't mean that uh, you're any better than we are. But that's not the issue, Sample. The issue is whether I can beat you or not. I'm twice your size. I have twice your strength. And that, okay, that's but why are you twice my you. size and twice my strength? Because I am. That's that's my sister. I worked hard to yeah. get that way, and I could squash you in a second. What are you saying, Sam? You know, I, I work out just as hard as you do, but I do not supplement my body the way you do either. Well, Vince, we ordered a good old-fashioned cat fight, and I think we got one. Depends on whether you call that stuff supplement. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. I think you've been to the plastic surgeon a lot more than I have, honey. Woo!